Welcome back to the Spirits Guide. My name is Rich. I'm your guide to the intoxicating spirits world. This is Tuesday night tastings. Man, this episode is special. This is this is it. I, I don't know. I think this might be a, a mic drop episode. I don't I don't know where I'm gonna go from here. I am here tonight to talk to you about night. 1992. If you're like, what the fuck? Just trust me. Stay with me. We're talking about 1992. 30 years ago. What happened in 1992? Well, President Bush and, and Yeltsin officially ended the Cold War. Uh, riots took place in L.A. over the Rodney King verdict. Bill Clinton was elected president. God, is that really 30 years ago that all that stuff happened? Uh, in the world of sports, 1992, the Washington Redskins take the Buffalo Bills in the Super Bowl. Uh, Toronto Blue Jays take down the Braves in the World Series. Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan beat the Trailblazers in the NBA Finals. And the Pittsburgh Penguins beat the Chicago Blackhawks in the NHL fi- Finals. Steffi Graf and Andre Agassi win men's and women's at Wimbledon. Duke is the NCAA basketball champion over the Fab Five at Michigan. Alabama is national champions in football. Is this making you guys nostalgic yet? Do you realize that that stuff happened 30 years ago? It's absolutely amazing. I feel so old just even thinking about that. It seems like it was yesterday, and yeah, it was 30 years ago. What was going on in music? 1992 was a banging year, by the way, when I started to do research for this. 1992. So what was popular may not have been banging, but there was a lot of other good stuff. The top songs of the year in 1992. Number six, Tears in Heaven by Eric Clapton. Baby, Baby, Baby by TLC. Uh, Save the Best for Last by Vanessa Williams. Uh, Jump by Criss Cross. Baby Got Back. Do I even have to say Sir Mix-a-Lot? And the number one song of 1992, Under the Road by Boys to Men. Movies. Again, it's kind of confusing because there was a lot of great banging movies that came out in 1992. uh, But the box office draws. uh, Number one at the box office, Batman Returns. Number two, Lethal Weapon 3. Number three, Sister Act. Are you kidding me but when we get into the real stuff that happened in 1992 and i guess i use it to kind of prove a point that maybe what was popular and what was great in 1992 uh is not the greatness that stands the test of time uh some great movies that actually came out in 1992 reservoir dogs white men can't jump candy man basic instinct aladdin Unforgiven, Scent of a Woman, A Few Good Men, Wayne's World, My Cousin Vinny. That's just, for starters, that's like the cream on the top. So many other great movies. How about great albums that came out in 1992? Beastie Boys, Check Your Head, Automated for the People from R.E.M., The Chronic, Dr. Dre, Dirt from Alice in Chains, Rage Against the Machine, Self-titled debut, Eric Clapton Unplugged, 
Uh, one of my favorites, Southern Harmony and Musical Companion by the Black Crows. Core, Stone Temple Pilots, The Bodyguard Soundtrack, New Miserable Experience, and again, another one of my favorites from Gin Blossoms. Just a great array of great albums. It's amazing that none of those made the top five uh, in singles, but they're albums that stand the test of time. Uh, by the way, top books. Uh, <laughs> I found this interesting. The top five books in 1992, two of them are Stephen King novels, two of them are Danielle Steele novels, and one of them is a John Grisham. Uh, Dolores Claiborne, top selling book of the year. Uh, Pelican Brief, John Grissom, number two. Gerald's Game by Stephen King, number three. And then Mixed Blessings from Danielle Steele and Jewels from Danielle Steele. Uh, maybe the Stephen uh, Pelican Brief. Uh, yeah, there were some other great books that came out that year. Uh, Men are from Mars, Women are from Venus, uh, Rainbow Fish, Band of Brothers, The English Patient. So again, Things that were popular within 1992 don't necessarily stand the test of time. But things that kind of laid in the back and laid down became even greater as time went on. So you know what else happened in 1992? Glenn Dronick laid down a barrel of single malt scotch, 100% malted barley. They laid it down in Oloroso sherry butts. What does that mean? Well, this isn't a seasoned sherry barrel. This is an actual sherry butt. So it's a little bit bigger, uh, you know, than a standard, you know, 53-gallon barrel. And they laid it down, and they laid it down. And over those years, by the way, 1992, I'm not even 21 yet. My daughter, not even born yet. Hell, my girlfriend, not even born yet. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a lucky guy in that way. Uh, what happened in that time? Uh, my God, the Clinton presidency, uh, the Clinton presidency scandal. 9-11 happened. The Red Sox won the World Series. Uh, the Patriots went on a string of Super Bowl titles. <sighs> One George Bush, second George Bush, Donald Trump, all kinds of crazy stuff is happening. While all this stuff is going on, the Gulf War, things happening in the Middle East. There's just a barrel sitting in Scotland, resting, laying there year after year after year until finally last year, 2021, they decided to dump that barrel and bottle it. There are 383 bottles of this available. And this is what we're talking about on Tuesday night tastings. The Apex, maybe the biggest, the oldest. It's not necessarily the oldest because I did get to try some of the Bakta stuff. Uh, but I didn't have high hopes for that. It was very weird. And it kind of proved the point that sometimes if you're old and interesting, that's all you are. It's just old and interesting and it doesn't make you good. This I have really really high hopes for here's a story on it back in 1992 they barreled it they aged it for 29 years they bottled it as a single barrel it went into the barrel may 6th of 1992 
It is barrel number 217. The sample I have is off of bottle number 92 out of 383 bottles. It is bottled at cask strength, 110.8 proof. Again, aged in Oloroso sherry butts. Here's the story on it. You know, I knew it was getting released. And sometimes when you see these things, you just, they're so far-fetched. And they're so outrageous that, you know, I don't know that I could ever even get a bottle into my store. And then once I get it, you know, something like this starts to climb up the price ladder. I don't know if I can sell this. You know, it, it takes a very specific customer. Now, that being said, I'm fortunate enough to have some great customers that I can go to and say like, hey, are you interested in this? And then make, a, you know, an educated buying decision on my end of whether or not I want to even try to obtain these bottles. And this time out, I just knew I had to have this bottle. I love Glendronic. Uh, you know, they're owned by Brown Foreman. They're, the Glendronic 12 is great. The Parliament, the Portwood, the 21, they're all great bottlings. Everything about them is fantastic. I had really, really high hopes for this. And when it was presented to me, I just went, yeah. And my sales rep said, are you, are you serious? You want to order some of these? And I said, I I'll take as many of these bottles as you can get me. Now, again, think about this. There's 383 bottles in existence for the world. So how many of them stayed behind in Scotland? How many of them went to other countries? Where did they all go? I don't know. But I know that 383 bottles is not a lot. We probably could have sold 383 bottles in Massachusetts, let alone the whole United States, let alone, you know, Scotland, England, Ireland, you know, uh, Japan, where they love single malt scotch, uh, India, like the, all the markets all over the world, only 383 bottles. It, it, it's, it's mind blowing how little of this stuff is in existence I was going to take as much as I could. And, you know, I put in my order and then I've got to play the waiting game. You pre-order, you hope your, your account gets approved. You hope you've done enough in the past that you can get it on that allocation list. And as it turned out, I got one bottle. I had one customer I know who is a huge fan of single malt scotch, likes really, really good stuff. And I, I went to him and I said, hey, I might be able to get this if I do. Do you want it? He said, uh, absolutely. And I said, well, it should be in in June. You know, it's going to be probably about $800 a bottle. Save up. You know, I'll hold it for you till Christmas. And then when it came in, you know, I put the pictures up online. If you guys scroll back through Facebook. In fact, you don't even have to scroll back through Facebook or Instagram. Uh, you know, I'll have these pictures reposted again today when I released this episode, you know, I put them up and then I, I went back to this customer and I said, Hey, it's here. You don't have to take it. His eyes lit up and he said, I'll take it right now. I said, beautiful. You know, from a business perspective, I, I can't ask for anything more than to get in an $800 bottle and then sell it <laughs> immediately there afterwards, you know, so that invoice is paid and I didn't ask for anything. Um, you know, sometimes customers will offer like, Hey, I'll bring you back a sample. Hey, we'll crack it here. 
And I was very specific. This is your bottle. You paid a ton of money for it. Please don't crack this here. Go home, share it with family, share it with friends, whatever. And he said, you know what? I'm going to make sure you get a taste. And I said, all right, well, if that's the case, I just happen to have an empty vial right here. You can take this home. You don't have to bring the bottle back. Just pour a little bit in this vial. And that's what I've got in front of me. Oh, man. I I truly waited until I got this in front of me. You know, the, the sample got brought to me, you know, last week. And I knew immediately, like, all right, this is what I'm doing next Tuesday. No Tuesday night flights. No Tuesday night tastings. This is it. One and only sample. Mic drop. So I haven't opened it. I haven't smelt it. I haven't tasted it. This is it. Real, raw, live as it happens. Glendronic, 29 year from 1992. Single barrel, 110.8 proof. Bottle number 92 of 383. Cask number 217. Oh my goodness. So I will tell you this. I got it from uh, my friend Bob, who was the one who bought the bottle, and he shared it with his brother-in-law, Tim. And they've bought some other high-end scotch from me before. Uh, they really like good stuff. They share it back and forth. And Tim had initially come in, and he said, you know what? I like the Glendronic 21 better. It takes a weird turn after that. And I thought, all right, you know, everybody's got their opinion. And, you know, at, at this point, like, it's a 29-year-old scotch. I don't even have a frame of reference to compare this to, but you like what you like. And a lot of times I've liked the younger offering better than the older offering. So I get it. And I also remember talking to the people from Pernod Ricard when I tasted the red breast 27 and their exact words were when it hit 21 years, it took a sharp left-hand turn and it didn't taste like anything else. So it wasn't surprising to me that he said that, you know, and his initial thoughts, and this is all I have to go on at this point, was when he first tasted it, he liked the 21 better because the 21 was more about the whiskey than the barrel. He felt the 20, the 29 that I have in front of me was more about the barrel than it was about the scotch. And then he came back to me a week or two later and said, you know what? I changed my mind. <laughs> that 29 is absolutely fantastic. And what I attribute that to is the fact that it was bottled at cask strength at 110 proof. A lot of times when you open a bottle that is cask strength, they can be tight when you first open it. I experienced this with Redwood Empire Haystack last year. I talked about it with Jeff Duckhorn, the master distiller at Redwood Empire. And he said the same thing, that sometimes when you have bottles that are cask strength, they're really, really tight and they need to open up. They need to get some air in them for the flavors to kind of properly express themselves. So I really don't know what I'm getting myself into. I've got, you know, Tim's initial reaction, his change of heart later on. But I have such a small sample. I really only get one crack at this. I mean, that sherry influence is right there on the nose. The really sort of dark fruit, like fig, uh, molasses, like hints of red fruit underneath, nuttiness. And I'll be honest, like for 110.8, there's not a lot of heat coming off of this. 
all right. I have been waiting a long time. And, you know, in all honesty, I was hoping that when I did sell this bottle, I would get a sample. I think I even said that a few weeks ago on the podcast. I'm truly, truly blessed to know some of the most amazing human beings, um, the kindest, the most thoughtful people who are just, you know, willing to, to share, you know, the fact that somebody paid this kind of money for this kind of bottle and still thought enough to share some with me um, just makes them incredible. All right, here we go. Wow. I can see both sides of my friend Tim's coin there. You know, I can see where the barrel takes over because there's a lot of barrel influence there. Um, and it adds a really nice sort of tingly like fall baking spice element to this and i think the proof is right on because the nose is a little sweet from the sherry but that proof just keeps it right in line that is that is something something special oh man Lots of red fruit. By the way, the color on this is outrageous. There's like a like an amber, like brick red, like not new brick, like old sort of brick red. It's not, you know, sometimes sherry finished scotches, and I like this a lot when they're kind of rich and heavy and sweet. This is not that at all. Those flavors are there, but man, it is just oh, beautiful. That is gorgeous. That is, man, on the finish, the flavors just keep coming. There's a little bit left in the glass. Oh, man. I'm surprised, you know. And how much the oak influence is really there. Now, this is not like bourbon. We get those big, toasty, vanilla, caramel, like really woody notes. The wood here is so subtle. So again, it doesn't get to be 110 degrees in Scotland. But the wood is there. Um, there's just enough burn from the alcohol. The finish just keeps evolving on me. From like figs to like red fruits and chocolate, lots of chocolate, like like chocolate covered cherries and chocolate covered like blueberries, like the flavors just keep evolving in my mouth. Yeah, that is wow, that is special. All right, three tiered rating system. Is it good? And it's beyond good. You know, it's it's good to drink, but the the history, when I think of, you know, from 
the year that this was laid down and I was 20 years old, you know, I hadn't even turned 21 yet. And now I have a daughter who's 21 in the time that this was aging. This is something that I, you know, you know, in full disclosure, I saved a little bit of the sample, you know, and I'm going to sit and I'm going to reflect on what has happened during the last 30 years of my life drinking this. Is it good? Yeah, it's good, but it's so much more than that. This is a drinking experience. Like you're, you're tasting history. Like, you know, while wars were going on and riots were happening and celebrations were happening and, you know, all these things in the world were happening over the last 29 years. This was just sitting there just aging and developing. That's fascinating to me. So is it good on a flavor level? Yes. Is it good on a historic level? It's just mind blowing to me. Um, Is it worth the money? Anything again is worth what somebody is willing to pay for it. But for a 29-year-old, single-barrel, barrel-proof, Oloroso Sherry butt aged, not finished, aged, there's only 383 bottles that survived the last 30 years on this earth. What kind of price tag do you put on that? Let alone the actual logistical price tag of paying taxes every year and then getting it bottled, getting the right packaging, getting it shipped over here to America, paying the people who decide where this bottle is going to go. How do you put a value on that? $800 seems fair to me. Absolutely. Um, you know, that's, it's a $1,000 bottle just on the historical rarity and flavor alone. Does the bottle start a conversation? Absolutely. Like I said, I'm going to repost my pictures of this bottle when I had the whole bottle in the box in my hand. It's gorgeous. It tells a story. Um, yeah. Does this bottle start a conversation? It absolutely does. You don't find many bottles that actually have the year 1992 highlighted right on there on the front of it that have the amount of bottles highlighted on the front, the cask number, that proof point, everything about it is gorgeous. This is a conversation starter for sure. Um, so yeah, it's a winner. It's, it's good. It's worth the money. It starts a conversation. It's a taster for sure. It's a sipper because of the rarity. It is not a drinker because there's just not enough of it to go around. And once it's gone, it's gone. Um, for my friend, Bob, it should be a drinker because it should be something that he gets to share with his dad and his brother-in-law and his sister and all the friends and family that he is close to. You should absolutely drink it with those people because that's what this is truly all about. Moments and memories and just time. So for me, it's a taster and a sipper uh, for the owner of this bottle it is a drinker. If you have one of these bottles out here, Please don't leave it on your bar unopened. It is meant to be drank and enjoyed with special people and create memories. Um, and if you find one of these out in the wild, definitely, definitely grab it. <sighs> I got one more sip left here in my glass. Mm. Oh, man, just like a mouthful of chocolate-covered fruits. Maybe even raisinettes. That's amazing. 
All right, that's it. I I don't know where to go from here, guys. You know, I don't I don't know what to do next Tuesday. I don't I don't know how to top this. I don't know that I'll ever taste anything this amazing and this rare again. Uh, thank you, Bob, if you're out there and listening. Uh, and Tim, you guys are awesome, and I appreciate it so much uh, that you think enough of me to share this with me. And for the rest of you guys listening, if you like what we're doing, and if you're here and you're listening, obviously like what's going on. Go to the podcast page, click that follow button, give it a five-star rating, share it out on your social media. Let your friends know, you know, who are into the same kind of things that we are into, that there's a podcast for them to listen to. Uh, Follow on Facebook and Instagram. I'm always posting things that I'm, you know, drinking, reading, uh, listening to, by the way, Vinyl Sunday. I'm having a ton of fun with that. Uh, this week, I can't believe I scored that Elvis Costello album in flawless mint condition. Uh, I was so excited by that find. Um, yeah, follow Facebook and Instagram. You can leave comments, reviews, and you can message me through both of those sites. And here it is. You know, I'm looking for a permanent co-host. You know, I don't care if you know a lot about spirits. And, you know, you want to have a discussion or if you know a little bit about spirits and you want to learn about it. If you want to come here, hang out, we'll geek out about movies, music, books, TV, whatever. We'll drink some cool spirits. You know, if you've got samples you want me to try or samples of things that I've tried that you would like to taste, email me the spirit guide 89 at gmail.com. I'll be back on Friday with another full-length episode. I know I said I was going to shut them down, but we were back last week. I was very excited. I feel reinvigorated. I was going to take a break, but I don't feel like it. I want to keep this thing going and uh, keep the journey going. So I will talk to you guys again on Friday. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday, and uh, I appreciate y'all. Cheers.